Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 258. I'm your host, Derek Moore. And with me once again is my semi-permanent co-host, CEO of Zega Financial, Jay Pestricelli. Jay, did you have a hand in the rate decision? Oh, yeah. Me and Powell, we we, uh, mm-hmm. we had a quick conversation and uh, there we go. Derek, you know, I like starting off the shows, though, saying another new high this week that we hit. Market pressed to a new high again. I feel like if I keep calling it out, I could somehow be, you know, get credit for the market moving higher, which I'm not sure I want at this point. But, you know, that's a different thing. But wow, another, despite a little fear in the middle of the week, another monster week. I'm just going to tell you something, though. A new high, you know, some people look at new highs and they say, oh, it's at a new high. That means I should sell or I should pull back or I should, you know, whatever it is. Can I tell you that I looked at, I didn't include it here, but since you brought it up, 2021, there were 70 new highs. It's, It's not unusual to have new highs uh, you know, fairly regularly. You have to, right? Markets generally go up. So yeah, that means eventually you're pressing to have new highs. So 70, Derek, I mean, that's like, you know, just that's more than a, around, a, it's more than a quarter, right? So yeah. it would be a quarter. So yeah, that's great. That's great. So who knows what, how many we had this year so far? Seven. Like, that's it? Only seven? Well, we're only in February. I mean, that's. Yeah, but it feels like it's been, it's been like 23 trading days. You're telling me we've only had seven, it feels like. We had one in 2022, none in 2023. From 2013 to 2022, we had new highs every year. Not surprising. And if you look and, and you look back, it's like 2007, you had nine new highs. You had four in 2000, but none from 01 to 06. 08 to 12, no new highs. So, you know, 13 to, if you have a, a market that's a strong market that's going up, you're going to have new highs. And we know, what was the data that you used to quote uh, the market was is within a, an all-time high? Well, I forget the percentage, but you had done the, the research to look at that. Oh, yeah. So I, I, maybe I'll pull it up next time. But yeah, the, the, it was the higher high study that we do. And like, once you get a new high, the odds are you continue to press to a new high, right? I mean, it, it's, it's. You know, once you hit a new high, 30% of the time, you hit another new high within 30 days, right? I mean, that's, you know, that maybe that's still, we're, we're right to, we're, we're right around those same averages we were just talking about on highs uh, in certain years, especially this year. So, yeah, I, I do, I will give you one data point, though, that I do know off the top of my head, that uh, when the S&P makes a new high, within the next 30 trading days, so a month and a half, um, it has never been up another 9%. So if you're wondering where this may top out between, you know, now and the end of February, maybe that's it. Maybe that's where it tops out, 9% from the previous high for a little time. Not, I'm just saying that's historically what the data has told us. Not making a call this time, but where would where would that be? Is that 50? So what was it? It was 4808 was the previous high, right? So times 1.09, 52.40. So, you know. This has a lot more to go to get to, you know, till it presses up against something that it's never done before. 5% of the time uh, higher is usually, that's greater than half the time. So once you get that new high, you should expect highs to continue. I think half the time it's up five. So what's five on 4808, right? Times 1.05, 50, 50. Maybe that's where it slows down, but we're not there yet. 
Yeah. What this sounds like one of those it works a hundred percent of the time, fifty percent of the time type things, right? There you go. That's what fifty yeah. percent of the time means. Yeah. Yeah. This is why we don't try and time markets, by the way. We just we just <laughs> buy and hedge. Like good point. I mean, here's the other thing. Think about timing markets. If you consider the market movement. So the Fed did nothing for anyone who's been living under a rock for the last three days. The Fed does nothing but said something the market didn't like. Market corrects a point and a half, one and a half percent, which is the first time it was down, I think, more than one percent in a while. I think since September. Yeah. And it was during the, the Fed press conference and all of a sudden the market shot down. The next day it's up. Yesterday it's up. Like, could you imagine if if you're like, oh, I think I know what Powell's going to say. I think I know what they're going to do. I'm going to know the market direction. No, you don't. You have no clue. Yeah, we call that getting whipsawed if you tried to trade that one, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, dude, yeah. That, that, again, these, these are notable moves for, you know, the volatility that's implied in the market, right? So when you're getting these one, one and a half percent moves, that's, that's kind of a lot when the, uh, the market has been fairly muted you know, over the last three months. So yeah, I, I, you know, it's really difficult to time that you're like, ah, now I know the market had over, you know, was a little overzealous when estimating when the rate cuts were coming and how many there's going to be. Oh, the next day, forget it. Earnings are awesome. Jobs numbers are awesome. Okay, fine. Let's forget about all that rate cut stuff. Very different, right? The market these days is definitely fickle to the headlines. We're we're almost through the big ones, though. So a lot of big news had come out already. So I think, Jay Powell, if, if I'm his PR agent, and why, why wouldn't I be? I'm just going to tell him, hey, guys, do the meeting not during a heavy earnings week. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get buried. Heavy news. You want to be like when there's no earnings. That way you guys get full coverage, you know? As a- uh, I don't know. Like, how do you time that, right? I guess you know when all the earnings are coming, but you want to have how many Fed meetings a year? It's not eight. Too many. Nine? I don't, yeah. I don't know. They used to meet, what? Month and a half, right? So. Yeah. All right. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, this was in Bloomberg. Bond yields tend to fall around Fed meetings. Okay. So there was a chart that said uh, the yield moves around the three-day FOMC window. And generally, if you look at this chart, our audience can't see it. Bond yields tend to be go lower during the Fed meetings but higher sort of uh, outside of the Fed meetings. And I think it's more pronounced of late, like, you know, around 300 basis points gains outside of Fed meetings, close to minus 300 basis points. There's no, I don't know, what what do you do with this? I just think it's like, this is, I think, uh, maybe the bond market getting some of this wrong too, or trying to be a little too cute in, in guessing things, but I don't know. Any, anything here, Jay? Uh, no, I mean, I, you know, there, there's, there's certain trading, I'll call them tactics where people kind of find wrinkles in the regular kind of market session, like the whole, Hey, you know, if you buy at the open, sell at the close, that's one strategy, right? This is like another strategy, like, Oh, you know, you know, the three days, you know, the three day moves during the, uh, you know, the FOMC window, maybe that's, you know, just a trading tactic. By the way, it doesn't look like that's always the case, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's certainly interesting if you're, you know, trading, you know, bonds or bond funds, you know, you'll pay attention to this. But again, it seems to me just like one of those little wrinkles of 
you know, just because it happens a lot, it, you know, you try to infer some sort of uh, fundamental rationale and I'm not sure there is one, but look, if this works and, uh, you know, you know that rates are always going to drop during the Fed window, sure, get along a bond fund. All right. Do, do what you want to do there, I guess. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, the other thing I've, you know, I've been looking at 1994-95 as my strongest, you know, this period looks like that period. And I actually did a whole podcast. Jay, you, you, I did it solo where I went through the, the comparison between well, 94 and 95. Me? Oh my gosh. You didn't, I don't know. You, you were traveling too busy, too busy. Oh now. my gosh. We have more listeners now. Now, now you're on every week. You know, that's uh, but 90, 94 was, was always, I won't go through the whole history. I'll link to the podcast, which I go through in detail, but basically they started raising rates in, in March of uh, 94 and it was a surprise. I mean, from memory, I don't think the year-over-year CPI change was, I mean, it was a little bit above 2%. It was just odd. It was almost like Greenspan's Fed said, we're going to raise rates because we we just want to. I was working at Smith Barney at the time, and we used to have the the squawk box, these little boxes. And it wasn't, it didn't always play stuff. But I remember being in the in the on the floor with all the other brokers there. And out of nowhere, it's like, oh, the Fed just raised interest rates. And we're like, really? Why do they do that? Like, there's, there's, I mean, we're yeah, not they overheating. They don't do those kind of ad hoc moves anymore, right? They, 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 they really lean towards, we're going to do them at a meeting. We're going to have commentary every meeting. They didn't even always have the press release, right? Sometimes it's just like, here you go. But now they've, you know, they've got to the point where they're trying to remove some of the guesswork out of it all. But I, gosh, I remember... Greenspan cut in the middle of the dot com boom. It was like, what? He just out of the blue? Yeah, sure. It happened. It used yeah. to happen. It doesn't really happen anymore. I think if it happened right now, the market would have a conniption. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Uh, sometimes they did stuff at a meeting or there was no press conference. There was no dot plot. There was none of that. Like Greenspan was opaque. They just did what they did. And, uh, and then it was every other, remember every other meeting, I think Jenny Allen started that. Or it might have been Bernanke, but every other meeting was a presser. So everyone's like, oh, if they schedule a press conference, they're doing something. And now it's just a, a press conference every meeting. But let me, let me get back to the, the point here. So they raised in March of, of 94. They first lowered rates. Uh, or no, their last raise was March of 95. They didn't lower rates for the first time until July of, of 95. So the reason why I bring this up, Jay, is you know, people try and look at the the longer bonds, like the 30-year bond, the 10-year bond for, oh, yeah, those are coming down or those are going up. I mean, they're ten- tangentially related to the Fed funds rate. But if you look at a chart back, you know, 94, 95, you would see that the Fed was still raising rates and the 10-year had actually started to come down. Interestingly enough, before the first cut, Yields went from six percent above six and a half percent, and even after they cut, they spiked a little bit more. You know, probably six point six, six point seven percent before they came down. And then, you know, I looked at our ten-year trade right. You know, the ten-year yields right now. Like the last raise was July, and the ten-year yield kept going up, and then it came back down, and then it was just crazy. Like the other day, Jay it was, oh, bond yields are. Or way up, and then the next day, bond yields are lay, way down. Like, if you're looking at this for predictive, 
powers or good luck, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, it's it's especially with what the Fed is saying. Like, I think we always try to remind people that the 10-year and the Fed funds rate are two very different things. Yes, of course, we know they're all, you know, uh, uh, linked, but the timing of their moves and the magnitude of their moves and even the length of the inversion. I, has anybody done a study on, you know, where we are as far as the longest periods of time having an inverted yield curve? Because it's this has been going on for quite a while now, right? This is not normal. We're all getting used to it. But uh, maybe that's something research next time, Derek. But yeah, this is just, it just tells you like trying to read into what a 10 year is going to do based off what the Fed is going to do. You know, they, they are definitely not you know, a hundred percent correlated, right? There's that, uh, uh, yeah, the fact that, you know, in, uh, 93, 94, the market was, bonds were coming down while they were still raising, right? So get this, the 10 year yield was still, was coming down while the Fed was still raising rates. Okay. That seems odd. And now we're at the spot here where, uh, you know, the Fed stopped, rates continued to go higher, for a while here, probably going to catch up. And now, you know, who knows? They haven't started cutting yet, but, you know, are we going to see that same dynamic where rates go down, 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 and then pop in advance of the cut? Who knows? I I think, Derek, you know, all of these are, there's independent data points that drive each one of these. So I'm not sure we could really read into any of it. So for any of those thinking like, oh, let me invest in a longer dated treasury or longer dated treasury fund, because I think the Fed's going to do X, Y, Z, you may not get the you know expected change in your investment because there are definitely some breaks in linkage between the longer duration and the Fed rates. I guess it also depends on, and we're not convinced that the Fed has to, to cut. Like if the economy's doing well. You, you and I might be the last two that think that, but you're right. We're not convinced. <laughs> unless it's uh, because of the regional banks and commercial real estate. Like maybe they're like, ah, we got to give them a break. But I, I don't know. I mean, it, it just, okay. By the way, 1980 was, I think, the last time it was inverted this long. But I haven't done the research I, off the top of my head. But here's, here's the thing. Like imagine if you said right now, you're, you're invested in stocks. And stocks have just made a new all-time high, as we talked about earlier. So we're on a bad news is good news. So it's just so backwards to think, oh, I'm an investor. I want there to be a, re- a deep recession, or uh, maybe not deep, but I want a recession. I want people to lose their jobs. I want GDP to slow. I want the economy to re- everything to really slow down and get worse. So the Fed, so what? So that what? So the Fed can lower rates. So then the market can go back up after it went down. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. If Wouldn't the best thing be that they have to raise rates because there's so much growth? I don't know. Maybe I have it backwards. Uh, like, you know, the, 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 the adage that higher rates insinuate a healthier economy doesn't seem to, way, to be the way the market is thinking right now. But historically, that's true, right? When the market is... When your economy is stronger, it can withstand 5% rates. Like this example we're talking about here, we're talking about rates in the 90s that were between 5 and 8%. It, that wasn't hyperinflation period like the 70s, right? So this is, you know, I, I'm with you, Derek. Like if, if the economy can handle it, then they may leave it 
you know, they may leave rates higher. I do think though, um, you know, for optics, they may cut. Like uh, I did think they said, I thought Powell said in the presser that, you know, they expect to have a cut this year, right? But they haven't got the confidence. They need the confidence to make sure that inflation is licked and they don't have that confidence yet. So, and then the jobs number came out yesterday. When I say yesterday, Friday, we're we're recording this on a Saturday, by the way, right? So then the jobs number came out on Friday, February 2nd. The surprising data point in there was what? It was wage growth, right? Wage inflation. And I think at first the market reacted fairly negatively to that. And then, you know, then then things changed and we got an all-time high, really strong day. But I don't know. When I think through all of these things, Derek, my, you know, Higher rate is not bad, and but if look if you can get the Fed cutting and you have inflation coming down, like those are really good, you know, uh, ingredients for a strong market, a really strong market. So, so let's let's juice the market, juice the economy, so it overheats. So then we have to raise rates again. It's like. You know, but well, that's the thing they're going to really yeah. try to avoid. But like, if yeah. they, you got to give them credit so far, right? They didn't no credit. Break the right, I give them a little credit. <laughs> got to give them some credit so far. They didn't break the economy. They actually said we thought, you know, we would have done a little more damage to the economy than than we did by raising, you know, rates at an historical rate. But you know, they always thought the economy could handle it. Like, it seems like they were right. Time will tell. But so far. You know, we're in, over a year into this the cycle and it seems okay. So, you know, I don't know, Derek, fine. It may seem perverse, but it seems to be working. So, you know, they'll do a study on this one and then this will be a new situation that we'll reference. We'll, we'll move on from this. Uh, you mentioned employment. We'll get to that. We also want to talk about how the options on things like Meta and Apple around earnings. We'll, we'll get to that. I, I will tell you, though, you know, we've... Uh, I'll link to some podcasts, but I looked at 94. 94 was my first full year in the market. And I think a podcast, it might have been a year ago, we looked at what the Fed funds rate was and we looked at how markets performed. And this idea that you have to have 0% interest rates for the market to go up is, it's just not true. I mean, we're, when you look at the 90s, you used to get 5% just in money markets all the time, you know, and, and, even bank accounts, I think, were more competitive. You know, we won't get to the the big banks who are still giving you zero point zero one percent. But Jay, you mentioned payrolls, and all right, here's a little public service announcement. So, if you all you did, not you, but the you know everyone out there, is you said, "Oh wow, the the Economist said there was going to be 185,000 new or change in non-farm payrolls. Why don't we count the people on the farms?" Do they not matter? Anyway, I, not I, 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 well, I think you know the reason why, right? You have the the it's a they migrate between farms, right? It's it's a, it's a, what do they call that workforce, right? It's certainly it's a it's it, more temporary. Yeah, it's temporary. It moves around quite a bit. Or you could have farmers who are deliberately not planting one year, right? So, like, I think there's a lot of reasons to take that volatility out of the number. All right. Well, we'll get we'll do a whole show on non-farm versus farm. I want to get to the bottom of this. But anyway, 185,000 was the survey. 353,000 was the actual. And it looks absolutely nuts if you see that. But what many, you know, if you just 
looked at the news and you didn't, I mean, when these come out and I will, I will share a little inside baseball, you know, sometimes we'll sort of message back and forth, a bunch of us, uh, uh, within, within Zega and some, I usually message last because I actually, I pull up the report and I'm reading like this 10 page report first. And when you get into the report, what you realize is there were revisions to non-form employment from, I'll give you an example. December was 216,000, but after they revised, it was 333,000. That's a revision of, of a plus 117,000. That's huge. And so when you see that economists said, well, it's going to be 185 and it comes to 353, well, 353 is only a little bit more than 333. Like the jump wasn't as significant. And in fact, they went back. It's right on the BLS. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. The BLS publishes the, uh, the employment report. Uh, if I go back to January of 2023, yeah, I mean, you can see the differences previously published versus this. They also changed some of the model. So what they did was they changed the size of the population. They changed some of these other things because basically, you know, they're taking samples. And then as they look at the data over time, they see more of what it actually was. So I don't know. I think this is why, and I almost messaged uh, everybody and said, I bet you the market's up today once they figure out what this is. Because remember, the futures just shot down and the market ended up, but as you're reading this, you're like, no, they just did revisions. I don't think they get these revisions. I don't know. But I read these reports. I'm probably one of 10 people do. Uh, yeah, well, I, I look, this is the jobs number is one of those, you know, once a month, that's a data point that seems to be a market mover. So people do pay attention to it. I was on the other side of this. I thought that the, you know, earnings was inflationary enough to hold the market down, but it was still a big number, Derek. And like, when, when you, when you look back over the last 12 months, right, the number that came out, which was, uh, what did you say? 353. Yeah. Right? It hasn't been that high since January of last year, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was a high number. Like there was a, a couple 300s in there, right? But it's, it's. I think the market just liked it and it goes back to the healthy economy. And, you know, it was, what, what, what did rates do when it came out, right? You saw bonds drop, right? Yep. Uh, which means rates went up. So I don't know. Did they feel like, oh, maybe now the Fed's not going to cut sooner, that's okay. Market went up anyway. Feels like good news is good news. Bad news is good news right now. Hey, maybe that's why we're hitting a new high. Bad news is bad news. Good news is bad news for the bonds. Oh, bad news is good sorry, news. Sorry, assume the equity side of it. Yes. Okay. Oh, I'm, I agree just, I'm giving the, the, the other yes, side the of it. Yeah, side. sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, all right. Um, by the way, just uh, I, I found something that was interesting. I forget the reporter's first name. Uh, their last name is White, and they had a, a little piece on Bloomberg, and it was just a they they used Jolts as an example. So Jolts is the uh, one of the measures that they look at. It's you know openings, quits. Uh, you know it it just looks at sort of the the change in in uh, in all that stuff. So the response rates. So basically, the Jolts and the, I give I wish I had the reporter's name. I would give them credit. The sample size as they look at 21,000 establishments. But Jay, what's interesting is the response rate to those surveys used to be right around 65%. They started to go down, you know, pre-2020. And 
2022, early 23, I mean, they've been only about 30, 35% response rate. So if you look at that, about 6,600 establishments, you know, businesses are basically forming the data for the entire country. Think about that. And I don't know, like, is, is the response rate so low? Cause like, we don't have time. We're, we're too busy trying to find people. We can't, we can't do surveys or they're like, Oh, uh, I don't have time for surveys. I got to lay people. Like, I don't know what this means, the <laughs> response rate, but I don't uh, yeah, know. I mean, look, I mean, it's obviously very poor, right? It's a very, very small fraction of the actual businesses that are, that are out there. I mean, I don't know the average size of the business, right? If this is all like, you know, all S&P 500 are in there, then okay, that's probably pretty great. But uh, I think the, the, the thing I've always defaulted to with this number is like, look, an error in the data is always going to be there. So just accept it. It's always been reflected. But when half the, you know, you got half responding, you know, with, with the, when the rate is dropping by that much, you know, that's not great, right? Now you start to think there's even more of a chance of an error in this data point, which means you have less confidence in the data point. So yeah, else is interesting, at least it, it certainly was interesting after the pandemic, right, and you saw how many job openings there were and people weren't going back to work, that was interesting. I think we've probably worked our way through jolts. It's probably a little less important than it was. You know. Yeah, job openings, less turnover, the official thing. So 0.6% of the 11 million total uh, establishments are, are driving the data for jolts. It's a little better on the establishment survey for employment. So remember, there's the household survey for employment where they call people, hey, right, do you have a job? Okay, no. Do you want a job? Have you looked in the last, you know, that's, that's a different one. The establishment survey has about a 66% response rate and their sample size is 122,000 businesses. So about 7.3% of the total establishments there are actually driving that data. Enough with this. We're going to put people to sleep. Uh, real quick hit, Jay. Uh, somebody asked me or, or told me, hey, you know, the, the Schiller PE, the CAPE ratio is getting up again. Uh, there was a, a scatter plot. Basically, the S&P 500 returns one year forward, depending upon what the Schiller PE is, there are the CAPE, and basically that cyclically adjusted PE, where you take the current price of something divided by the 10-year average of the, the EPS, and you get sort of this thing. I don't know, Jay. It's basically where cyclical PE is like 33 right now, and when it's around here, I don't know, there's like a couple of occurrences. So either plus 30 or down 30, I guess, a year from now. Good luck using yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're trying to reawaken the audience, Schiller, Cape, you know, and forward earnings isn't the forward returns aren't the way to go. But I would say, yeah, I think right now this is a data point that it's very confusing. It's not clear. Generally, the idea here is that, hey, when you have a lower multiple, markets have higher returns, you know, going forward. In other words, oh, good, you bought the dip. Okay, that's smart. Right now, where we are, we're closer to the high end of multiples. The outcome is up for interpretation, right? Could be big, could be bad. I don't know. Good luck using this. Now, also good luck using the seasonal data. This is the fourth year cycle of the presidential survey. And well, as we mentioned, fourth year, so election years, the, the first quarter tends to be a little bit choppy sideways. Um, well, we've had the opposite of of that so far. 
and February tends to be down. So I guess we're assured to be down this year because historically, the fourth year of a presidential cycle, 1928 to present, says that February on average is down 0.31%, although 50% of the time it's up. Uh, I don't know. Good luck to February. We'll say that. I, look, February's in general can be a choppy month, yeah. right? I mean, just not always, but but we've seen, I think in the last five years, you know, three times out of the last five, February has been down. So, you know, it could be, but, you know, maybe this is an up one. I, I do think, though, this is interesting data because we, I think 10 out of 10 client calls that we have, people ask about, oh, it's an election year. What do you think? And, you know, our general response has been like, it doesn't matter who's in office. Everybody's heard that already. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you could expect a little volatility September, October going into the election. Uh, but, you know, markets, according to this seasonal data, uh, that is also true, right? September, which is historically the you know worst month of the year, looks like it's down uh, uh, as, as well uh, on average. And then October, which I always feel is the scariest. While it's not down the most. To me, it feels like all the big sell-offs happen in October. I don't know why, but that just seems to be, you know, a little, little feeling I always, I always observe. But uh, you know, the big, the big famous days are in October generally, right? So Black Monday's in there. Yeah, I mean, even the worst months. For example, May, on average, uh, it's down minus one point one four percent. I think the the audience can't see this, but I, I think the average. 70% of the time it's up. Yeah. Yeah. But even so. that that's the worst month. So yeah, go figure that, right? And then December is not the best month, but 83% of the time up. August is is pretty good. I don't know. Good luck with this too. But the the point is markets go up over time. That's why we, we buy and hedge. We're not trying to pick stuff. We're not trying to pick, you know, tops and bottoms. And, you know, I mean, you look at the this data and you'd say, okay, if all I had was this data, I'd say, well, we're going to be maybe a little sideways first quarter. And then we kind of tend to go up as the year goes on. But well, I'll let you know how this year goes in January of, uh, of 25, Jay. Mark that down. Might remind me. I'll tell you. January 25. Okay. Derek yep. will tell us how the market did in 2024, January 25. Got it. That's right. That'll be groundbreaking analysis there. Also analysis <laughs> is... We had some earnings reports, big ones this week. We had Apple, Microsoft, Meta, Google, Tesla, uh, NVIDIA's later. But one of the things I noticed is good earnings reports beget earnings raises by the analyst. And what do I mean here? If you look at the forward 12 months, uh, they're expecting, or the estimate is on the S&P, 234.27 per share. Based upon where we closed, Jay, that puts us at a forward multiple of about 21. But you did uh, this chart that I sent you. After the earnings this week, the analyst raised their estimates, not only for the next 12 months, but also the next uh, you know two years and three years. So earnings estimates at least have ticked up over the last week. What that means long term, I don't know. But yeah, they had some good earnings reports. So I mean, were they that good? I mean, I mean, for, besides Meta, I mean, they're good, right? I mean, they didn't crush apples, nah, right? Fa- uh, Alphabet, Google was nah. 
Meta was amazing, I guess, right? By the way, I think I read an article, the move in Meta yesterday, the 20% plus move in Meta was the largest market cap growth of any single stock in history. On a single day. So let's break that down. You take the number of shares times the price to get the market cap. So if you have 100 million shares and and the shares are $1 each, your market cap will be 100 million. But yeah, I think what you're saying is that 20% gain in Meta stock was their market cap jumped the biggest ever, I think is what you're saying, right? Yeah, so the, it was a Bloomberg article. It says Meta's 197 billion surge is the biggest in stock market history. So that now holds a record for the biggest uh, surge, but that might be not a single day, but it also is the single biggest day, which was, yeah, no, 197 billion. Mm. Biggest single day market cap addition. It means there were purchases. Am I right here? Yeah. That, Added up to almost two hundred billion flowed into the stock. Yeah, do me a favor now. Give that to me, Jay, on an inflation-adjusted basis, and then change it to percentage. Let me know if it's. I'm kidding, but yep, you know I'm what I'm saying. Like, off the back of the napkin here. Well, you know, it, like it, it, what is Microsoft's market cap now? What is it? Three trillion, two trillion, whatever it is. So uh, it's the biggest, I believe. I think it passed Apple. Yeah. So let, yeah. if your market cap's $2 trillion, a 10% gain is what, $200 billion, right? Yeah, but don't blow up the 10% gain uh, because, I mean, it's a humongous stock. Like that is, I think it's very difficult to oh, get I'm that not, kind of a No, no, I'm, I'm with you here, but I'm yeah. just like, hey, on a percentage basis, I'd be interested. I didn't want to ruin your bit here, Jay. You know, I'm that not trying to do that. It wasn't really a bit, but look, <laughs> I, I, I would tell you, so look, you have a point about the, the, um, the inflation right piece of this, right? And just the growth of the market. I, I remember when NVIDIA had their earnings back in May of last year and it went yeah. up, you know, 33%. And that was like the second biggest. But when I'm looking here, I'm looking at like the last 10 of like the biggest single day market cap additions, right? Meta mm-hmm. was the most on Friday. Apple in November of 2022 was the second biggest. Amazon in February of 2022 was the third biggest NVIDIA in May of 2023, Apple in January 2022, Apple again in 2020, Apple again in 2022 of October. So like these are all recent numbers, right, Derek? So I think you're right that, look, these large stocks tend to just get larger and dominate the movement of the market. We talked about this last Mm -hmm. week a little bit as well, like right with the Starbucks example. Starbucks can kill it, but if Apple you know, just misses by a little, completely wipes out what Starbucks does. So you're right. It's just the big are a big deal still. And, and there's pluses and minuses that, to that. We know that. It was a massive move. And, and here's why it was a massive move. Let's talk implied volatility. Let's let's get in. We, we like to do this. So I brought Meta and Apple as examples. And Jay, I think, I think it's worth going through this. So remember, people, when they first start trading options, they're like, oh yeah, right around earnings. I'm going to buy a call and buy a put, and I know it's going to move. Well, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Because I pulled, you know, Meta is an interesting one, Jay, because they were February 2nd, so Friday, which was yesterday, earnings, or earnings uh, option expirations in the afternoon. And we could look at what the options were priced at right at the close on Thursday. And the reason why that's important is because Meta was issuing their their earnings announcement after the close Thursday. 
So Jay, I'm sure you you saw this chain for the audience. The implied volatility on the at the money. So the at the money was right around 395. The calls and put for Meta. It was uh, about 121, 122. So for anyone who's playing the home game, if you're driving, don't do this. Do this at home. Uh, but write down, you know, 121.81 divided by 15.857, which is the square root of 252. And the, the way you do the implied one-day move is you take the implied volatility divided by the square root of time, which is what I just did. And Jay, it said it was going to move about 7.67%. You know, that was the expected one standard deviation move. Uh, Jay, it, it, it did something different, right? It, well, yeah, it did like three times that, mm. right? So if you happen to take the risk and get long options, you were paid. Right to getting to, you know to to making a bet either way, um, you didn't happen to grab the straddle price that day, did you? I did. The straddle oh. price that day was fifty one. Was it fifty one dollars? No, hang on. Twenty four. Twenty four dollars and twenty cents was the straddle price. Yeah, and it went up how much? Uh, it went up eighty points. Right? Yeah. So you you paid. Right. Nice little, nice little benefit there if you were long that. So, so hey, there. So, so should we always get long going into earnings? Uh, probably not. Probably <laughs> not. Oh, really? <laughs> Did I just set that one up for you? Yeah. Well, Apple was the other way because Apple's IV was 71%. So 71 divided by, uh, and you can cheat on this, 71 divided by 16. It said, hey, one standard deviation expected move about 4.47%. Jay, it moved uh, down 0.54%. So if, uh, you know, selling the straddle, you would have lost money. You would have lost money there. Oh, actually, buying the straddle, you would have lost money. Buying, selling the straddle, selling you would have made money. Right. right. So the if you inverse, get it right, yeah. which one's overpriced and underpriced? Look, I, I think, you know, w- putting a wager on the biggest single market cap move in a day would have been, you know, foolish to plan on, but it would have been great, good trade. You know, but uh, on Meta, but like, look, generally speaking, these are really tough times to trade options around those uh, around earnings. And they're the most interesting time, of course, but they could be profitable or they could be destructive either way. Manage your risk. Implied volatility would have had to have been, I'm doing this in my head, what, 315%, 320% to actually forecast the, the 20%, 20% move. Happen. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Do you, do you think, you know, I haven't done any study on this, Jay, but I feel like lately the market has been underpricing some of the big moves, although there's a little bit of survivorship bias where we remember the outsized moves, but we don't remember the fact that Apple actually forecast too much movement. I don't know if you've looked at that lately or not, but I feel like some of the big ones, it's underpriced. It's worth it's worth tracking. I would I would tell you that uh, you know by the way underpriced sometimes could be the downside too, right? We talked about Tesla last week when it missed and dropped twelve percent. That was underpriced in the options as well, right? The options were not predicting that large of a move. Um, I didn't look how Google did against its implied. I think it actually out moved outside of its range, but Microsoft stayed within. So you know I know we're talking about the Magnificent Seven which is an interesting group for us for a lot of reasons. I think it's uh, one of those things that, uh, you know, 
you, you play the thing that happens, you know, most often and the options market is going to take all of that into consideration, right? There's no inherent advantage that's just kind of sitting in there. We like, we tend to say we prefer to sell options than buy them when they're expensive and we buy them when they're cheap. So look at the relative price of them. And, uh, you know, if there's one way to glean some information there, that's maybe what you do, right? If you see that the IV, the implied volatility of the options go into earnings is higher than average, and maybe that's when you sell, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you follow the lead of the market going, wow, market's really predicting a big move. Let me get on side with that. Again, form your own strategy. These are real tactical, you know, short-term trades. It's not the way we invest, but, you know, you can't, you can't help but talk about it when you see that kind of a move, 20% move in a single day. So there you go. We got to talk about it. Yeah. And, and I will mention, I guess, I guess it's fair, and maybe you can take this, this quick bit here. When we say, hey, the implied move in Meta was 7.67%, that's, you don't know which way it's, it's going. And that's one of the reasons why the straddle is, costs so much, right? I mean, it could be 7.6, you know, one way or the other, right? I don't know if that's yeah. worth Oh, it, yeah. Right? If, if you can get the direction right, you don't have to bet on both sides, then certainly it gets, you know, gets a lot more tenable to, to do these. But again, who kn- I don't know. And you don't know how the market's going to react to even good news, Right. You could beat earnings and go down because you guided worse than expected, or you're already overblown, and you didn't beat the whisper number. Again, tough to tough to trade these, but fun to watch. We've been watching them for a long time. Just you can't not watch it. I still watch after hours. Uh, you know, Derek, I think you remember this, right? We used to do uh, fast money after hours from mm-hmm. our time at uh, Ameritrade TD Ameritrade, and we would uh, kind of hop on and talk about the options market going in, and then kind of report on it. That was. That was, you know, early on in the fast money days, but I, I would tell you that uh, we still find them interesting. We still comment, right? Because you just, you're trying to just glean some information and all the little data points add up. I yeah, remember um, doing those. Uh, I mean, you'd be on iron, but I remember we would all be in a, because I was in Omaha one of the times and we would sit there and we'd say, okay, let's look at the implied volatility of the earnings. Let's look at the expected move. And then we would go in and look at, uh, the largest trades and try and see like, what are they doing? Like what, what, you know, where are they trading it? Are they doing the straddle? Are they doing, you know, and we would actually go through that and you go on and, uh, and talk about it. It was, I don't know. Yeah. The, the fast money doesn't do that anymore. Really. Any of that. No, stuff. They, they just use the desk to kind of report on it, but uh, yeah, it was fun at the time. Yeah. All right. What else do we got here? Can I ask you, uh, Something that I've been seeing out there is, and I, and I think we did it in in another episode. We talked about the dividend adjusted price versus the non adjusted price for a stock or an ETF. And so, when you think of you know, just to catch everybody up, let's say a stock is trading at thirty and it pays a a ten percent dividend. Well. It gets reduced on X date by by three bucks, so it goes from what did I say thirty down to twenty seven. But the total return versus the price return is actually different because the price return looks at the the stock going down. So up, oh, it lost money there. But I think I you know I've been noticing this and and sort of there's some some different dividend plays out there. This thing of NAV erosion, Jay, and I, I don't know. I think there's some misconceptions about it. Yeah. uh, First, so a stock declining in price because it went X dividend is not erosion, 
right? I mean, it's, it's a, it's, so you're right. People are using that term, right? Don't get me wrong, but it happens to be wrong, a wrong usage of that term. Nav erosion generally refers to like what happens with, with leveraged products that, you know, will decay faster over time just because they have more volatility in them, right? The whole, you know, if a stock drops 25%, it needs to make 33% to get back to even. Well, when you do that with leverage funds, it, it's even worse. That's the erosion that everybody talks about. When you look at dividends, there's no there's no erosion there in dividends, just your NAV or your price drop. Like if you're talking about a higher yielding ETF, the NAV drops by the dividend amount. And if you don't you know, do anything with those dividends and you let them sit as cash, you're really allowing the position to divest itself into a larger cash holding, right? So what a lot of people don't know when they look at a chart is they'll say like, wow, look at this, you know, the NAV has dropped. I mean, you could look at, uh, you know, high yield bonds. Now we're in the in the 9 to 10% range. REITs have always had this problem. There's some options-based strategies that we're familiar with slash manage that have the same problem. Um, but it's, it's, it's an optics problem, right? It's like you're looking at a chart and you don't necessarily understand or are able to interpret what the total return of the holding is because you're missing the 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 dividend portion of it. So I actually, you know, I've I I will say so I guess I'm on a soapbox here. I've been patient with people when they've called it nav erosion. It's not. And I used to allow it. I am no longer going to allow that in conversations. And I will now correct anybody that references nav erosion due to large dividends in X states. Just going to do it. So if you feel like sending me an email and then have me go off back to you, send me an email about nav erosion because it's just not accurate when you're talking about high dividends impacting the price of a stock or an ETF. You shouldn't invite people to send you those emails, Jack. Did. Send they me will. an email. <laughs> no, you don't. Derek you don't Moore at jacobfinancial.com. <laughs> Please send me an email. <laughs> don't, don't send those. No, send us emails. We like getting emails. Uh, to g- give you an example, though, let me look at um, uh, here. Let me let me pull this up here, and I'm going to pull up. Uh, hang on, I'm going I'm to do this live, Jay. To quote, uh, who is the guy who is like, I'm going to do it live, do it live. Who is that guy? I don't know. We do everything live. Although no. this is a recording, is but we don't edit the recording. Is it live? No, I don't know no, no. We, that's what I'm saying. We don't know. But who is that? The guy who was screaming. He's like, I'll do it live. Do you remember that guy? I only know one guy that screams. It's Jim Cramer. Oh, Bill. Wasn't he on Fox for a while? Uh, O'Reilly? Was it Bill O'Reilly? He was on Inside Edition in New York years ago. Was it Inside Edition or one of those shows? I'm going to pass on commenting on that one. All right. We'll pass. So dude, but, what are you doing live? Why don't you ex- explain what you're looking up while you're doing it live? You're going to grab a high div ETF or let something? Let me look at SJNK, which is sure. a high yield ETF. And I pulled up, I did a random thing. So I did February 18th, 2021. Why that date? Because that's what I, I don't know, that's what I typed in. To, to February 2nd of 2024. And it pays, you know, over the years, it's been five and a half. Lately, it's more like eight and a half, you know. So from- This is a high yield bond fund. It's a high yield short bond duration, fund. So, high yield bond fund, yep. Yep, short duration, high yield. Uh, we actually use some of the State Street products and some of our, uh, our buffered product. Uh, uh, hedged equity or buffered products, we'll say, say go buffered index growth. So the price change was minus 7.79%, but the total return was plus 9.81%. And the difference there is the price change when it goes ex-dividend 
it gets reduced by the amount of the dividend. The total return includes those dividends. So it, it's sort of a, uh, you know, an important distinction. And you can actually look at it three ways. When something pays a dividend that you own, you can either reinvest the shares into to more, uh, to more shares. So you're reinvesting and your return on, on that might be different than getting the, the cash and let's say putting it into the risk-free rate or a short-term treasury. Right now it's about 5.3%. Or you could take the cash and bring it into your backyard, light it on fire and it's obviously- Or these days throw it in a treasury, right? I mean- well, uh, you know, we're not saying lighting it on fire or throwing it into treasury. We're saying, yeah, throw it into a treasury yeah. for the short term. <laughs> I'm not considering treasury <laughs> setting your cash on fire. No, I'm not. That's true. No. But I just thought it was interesting you know, to look at something that, that pays a, a dividend and you see that. I'm just going to say, like, I, like, do better financial industry and financial technical providers or chart people. Like, why don't they put or at least have give people the option to look at a chart and do a, a total return chart. Like it should be easier for people because it's just yeah, not yeah. a good representation. Like do better, you know? Do better. Like, look, we look at total return charts on, but we pay for a platform that does that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not cheap. We use Bloomberg and Bloomberg will do this for you, right? Not everybody has that accessible, right? That's not free. So like when you look at a chart on Yahoo or wherever else you're using, even even on your custodian, most likely they're not going to give you a total return uh, chart because it takes a little more work to do that math, right? It's not just the price, which is a historical data point. It's actual return calculation, which, you know, I get it is not easy, but it's not. We, obviously, people have figured out how to do it. Obviously, the industry has figured out how to do it. They just have decided not to implement it. So. Look, I feel like, you know, we're in this very, this little niche area and we're like pounding the table on it because people don't understand it. Maybe that, maybe that's our goal for the rest of this, of this decade, Derek, get people to understand total return versus price return are very different things. Yeah. All right. There you go. But I I just, I don't get it because when you see, you know, when you see like those long-term things like, oh, if you bought the S&P from 1895 till now and reinvested dividends, first of all, really? There's yeah, nobody I mean, alive doing that today. <laughs> no, yeah, there's nobody in 18. And by the way, the commissions, even in the 1980s, 1990s, imagine buying every stock in the S&P prior to Vanguard having the index funds available. And, and I think it was the late 70s. But prior to that, could you imagine buying every one of those stocks and then shifting when the makeup of the index changed? And then when you get dividends, you have to reinvest them. But there's no dividend reinvestment. I think Chuck Schwab started that in the 90s, really, on a broad scale, having auto reinvest. I mean, but still, they do total return for that. But you can't just do a broker terms, just can't do a total return chart. Like, have it as an option. They adjust for splits. You know, it's not like if Tesla was 1,000 and then they did a 10 for 1, it doesn't go from 1,000 on the chart to 100 on the chart. So come on, let's do better here. How's that? That sounds great. Oh, right. Let's do better. Hats. I will. Uh, S&P will... 5000 and let's do better. Those are the hats we're printing. Ooh. Do, do we Ooh. want to make a, a totally arbitrary just guess about when it, it hits 5000? Because uh, sure. it will hit 5000 at some point, you know, even like. Yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, if it doesn't, then things are a little different in the world going forward. Right. The aliens have actually landed and done a press release. Um, yeah, I would say. that. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give it I'll be this isn't even that aggressive. I'll say 
you know, March 30th. Oh, by March 30th. Yeah. I'm, I, well, I, I can't, I don't think I'll disagree with you, you there. You can come in closer. I, I'm giving you the chance yeah. to come in closer because it could be next week. I'll, I'll take next week. By, by the next week, 5,000. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah. What do I know? You know, Sam Stovall made the point. Sam Stovall is the, uh, uh, he's an analyst. He, I actually Long had time. on the, uh, the market huddle back in the day. At yeah. TV. He did an apex event with us at Ameritrade too. In person, a couple of them. Yeah. He was great too. It was funny too. Cause I remember, uh, he couldn't see his own slides. Meaning, you know, we had these, this slide deck and we was, uh, it was a webcast, but his security software couldn't, it wouldn't let him see anything. So I had him on the phone. He couldn't even see what was on the screen, but he was great. He was great. He was, he was awesome. Uh, good guy and really knowledgeable. He made the point of, you know, the law of large numbers. So big numbers like 5,000, like Dow 10,000, 20,000. You tend to see, you know, there could be a little resistance there, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But they're also a magnet to get to them. They're right? a magnet. So that's right. A it's, mag- a, so, it's a magnet above and below it. Yeah, yeah, it could be next week. I mean, I thought there was an outside chance Friday we would hit it. So, look, I'm playing the February is a, can be a down month. Maybe we popped up and we just might take a little longer. But, you know, you could look in the options market to tell you what the probability is of 5,000. Couldn't you, Derek, if you happen to have, you know, an option chain open in front if of I you? If I did, which, if you I know, did. If you wanted to do it live, you know, <laughs> if that's like a thing, you wanted to do it live, this is the perfect opportunity for you. And if you don't want to do it, I will do it live. But yeah, you, about, so how would we do that, right? There's there's an option metric uh, called uh, probability of touching, right? Like it's, it's basically the delta times two, right? Of an option, right? That's, that's the, the, the easy quick math. So if you look at an option chain and you look at the Delta, which is uh, included in almost everyone, right? It's the rate of change of the option versus the rate of change of the underlying price. It's a probability number. It's, you know, statistically, a lot of people have fun with that one. But if you look at the Delta on the 5,000, it's 28%. So look, it's greater than 50% chance we touch by February 9th. So it's a 50-50 bet. So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. And if you wanted to buy that option as of Friday's prices, it'll cost you 11 bucks on the S&P, right? So $1,100, right? Uh, gets you the, you know, you start making money after 50, 5011. I'll tell you what, uh, since you I have that? in the next week and you have in the month, uh, next Friday, I'll tell you whether that was a good trade or not. How's that? Yeah. Okay. So what, did I say the end of March? All right. Let me you tell said you. March 30th. All right. Well, I'll say March 28th, which is a Friday. I just randomly picked a number. So the odds of that happening, right? You'd be like, well, more time. It's got to have a better chance of happening. The delta on that one is 50%. So it's probably 75 plus percent chance that we get there. So I took a very, very safe bet. I think next week is the more fun one. So the implied volatility is there you 11 go. Little right options now. data predicting the, the market. The Isn't that fun? Next week. Fun with math. So, you know, 11 implied volatility divided by 15.875. We said we're doing this live. Is uh, 0.69% is the expected one day move. And, you know, if you take 0.69 times the square root of five, 0.69, we'd say one standard deviation move between now and Friday is like 1.54. So there you go. All right. So anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll report back on that. Jay, I, before we 
we wrap up, I can't help myself. I want to just include a one shipping container reference uh, because I grab the the charts normally, and you don't. And <laughs> this is this is the pain I pay for yeah. not prepping for the meeting. I guess I got to yeah, talk well, about shipping containers. Week. Yeah. No, we're talking all week with with advisors and clients and any number of people. So we're we're sort of prepping all through the week. But I will point out, I ran a a chart the. Uh, Drury, and I know you follow this one, the uh, freight benchmark rate 40-foot box Drury. That's the 40-foot container. And I looked at the the price of that, and I also compared it to, uh, you know, the, the CPI year-over-year. And the CPI year-over-year actually is a little bit delayed, but no surprise when shipping container rates spike, you tend to see an upturn in CPI. We did have a little spike of late, because of the the Red Sea stuff and TBD. I think it's Spain's inflation. It actually showed up, the January inflation for Spain, it showed up a little bit, the container prices. But I'll monitor that so you don't have to, and we'll report back, Jay. Fair enough? I think that, the, the, well, look, the real, the, I think the interesting piece here is that when you looked at shipping container prices against the, you know, against inflation, there's clearly a correlation, right? No one's arguing that. Of course, I've given you credit for that. You should continue to take credit for that over time. But it, the part that I think is interesting is the lag or the kind of delay, the shift in the chart looks to be about nine to 12 months, meaning that, you know, to when you get this pop in, in some of the Input costs, right? I'll, I'll say shipping containers are an input cost um, that takes about nine to months to a year to find its way into CPI. So, if this continues to be a problem and it continues to kind of push things a little higher, then maybe you know we see it in a year. Like, well, you know, I don't know if a little spike uh, actually matters all that much. Like Derek, I'm looking back in like 2020, early 2020, right? The first pop in shipping container prices, it took quite a while for it to find its way in, but it is really like, if you could just shift this chart over, this is a chart worth showing Derek. You could just shift this chart over. You can see that, you know, all of the little moves make a difference. The only other thing I'll add here though, Derek, is that, while shipping container prices are all the way down to where they were pre-pandemic, like 2019 range, or at least they were up until recently, CPI has not come down enough yet to reflect that. So you might have this weirdness where the delay means CPI keeps coming down, but then this pop now, we should expect a rise. Like these are the kind of things that would give, you know, hurt the Fed's confidence in CPI really inflation really being low. So I think you look, I tease you, but you should continue to bring this up. I think it's a chart we're sharing. I didn't I left out the the chart from Bloomberg that shows where all the boats are in the world at any one time. I, I left that out of this one. That's Next good. Week, Thanks. Though. Thanks. Cause then I'd start looking and wonder which ones are gonna get attacked in the in the straight stand. All right. Any recommendations this week, Jay? So I've I've two two things. So I well, I don't know. So I'm gonna go see poorer things. Poor things with uh, Emma Stone and uh, Mark Ruffalo. I'm going to go see that tonight. We'll see how that goes. It looks really weird, so I'm happy to report back on that. I'll let you know how it goes. I would. Here's one thing I would not recommend is Pink Eye. Can I not recommend Pink Eye to anybody? Can I do a not? Is that a movie? Is that a movie? You saw? No. I, turns out I have Pink Eye, so I do not recommend that right now. So there you go. 
they got drops for that. They do. Yeah. I got a drops. I got a gel. I'm dealing with it. I'm sure I'll be gone in two days. But it was like it kind of. I was like, huh, eh, little itch. Not bad. It was mild. But one thing I would not recommend. Yeah. Don't, don't go okay. get that. There's I'm my writing. Is, is it a movie or a show? That'd be funny. Let's come up with one. <laughs> we'll, we'll name our volatility book Pink Eye. That'd be like uh, what's that? That Pimp, Doctor Pimple Popper. It'll just be a show. You know, <laughs> people come in. I don't know what's wrong with my eyes. Oh, it looks like you got pink eye. Here's some That's, drops. It's the default know? answer, by the way. I was like, I don't know. I feel like I scratched it. Like, oh, conjunctivitis. If that's what they call it, or something like that. And I was like, so what is that? He's like, yeah, pink eye. It's like, is everything pink eye? It's like, basically. I had it. I've, I've knock on wood. I haven't had that for a long time, but. I remember you wake up, you're like, I can't open my eye. It's like, <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> yes. I was trading with one eye shut. It's hard to read option chains with one eye. Well, shut. now, now that all makes sense this week. All right. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I'm giving a pre-recommendation. True Detective is back, but I don't want to start watching until all the episodes drop. And Jodie Foster is one of the detectives now. So I Jodie think- Foster says a lot of great things. Yep. Yeah. Her IC so- ability is great. They, you know, that's an interesting show because the first one, I think, I still think is one of the best things I've ever seen on TV is the uh, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey were the detectives in the first one. It was very good. Very yeah, good. like that was, I think McConaughey was nominated or won an Oscar and an Emmy in the same year. Also a little weirdness to that show, which also, which made it interesting. It's, yeah, so I'm, I'm interested in that one. So, uh yeah, I was going to pull a Mike Puck. So Mike Puck was on one time and like recommended his his air conditioning repair people. <laughs> All right. I went I went to a restaurant last night. My wife and I did the Mexicano in uh, in Phoenix. And I thought it was really good. So there you go. That's if you're ever next time you're in Phoenix, it's a it's worth checking out. There you go. All right. Our Belgian listeners will really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really, they're really happy about that. (laughs) You guys told me, don't get pink eye. And you told me about two shows you haven't even watched yet. Great. I mean, like our recommendations came in week this this week. No, it did. It did. But, you know, it's, yeah. I've been reading, you know, we read market stuff. This this has been a busy week for us. Let's just put it that way. Very true. Very true. All right, Jay. uh, Let's move along so our audience can get their, uh, the rest of their time back. By the way, I appreciate the, We've had some some really nice listeners of late reach out, uh, send me emails, Derek.Moore at ZegaFinancial.com. Tell us they really like the show. And uh, we saw some some uh, stars and ratings come in, although we don't always ask people for that. It's always nice if you do that. But yeah, let us know how you like the show. And uh, if you ever want any topics for us to cover, we will consider them. All right, Jay, that's it. All right, Derek. Have See a good you. one. Bye.